Hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Today I'm with Scott Cornell. He is a, uh, I believe you said the title was lead uh, mobile engineer. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. For Medically Home. And uh, he's been digging deeper and deeper into Flutter and Bluetooth Stacks. We had a quite a big discussion before we started recording the show. Uh, before we start talking to you, I wanted to give a quick plug for my own uh course. So I'm actually starting to create a course right now, which is all about integrating uh, Flutter and Rust. So check out uh, rustwithflutter.com and sign up and you'll receive a uh, newsletter once everything starts getting released. And uh, other than that, let's get started with the show. So Scott, uh, sorry for my own little plug. It's time for you to plug yourself now. Uh, Why don't you give a quick intro about yourself? Sure. So thanks, Alan, for having me. Uh, as Alan said, I'm Scott Cornell. Uh, I've been a, a software engineer for ooh, 18 plus years. Uh, I've done a lot of um, development, uh, full st- stack development. Uh, I would say the last five years, been focusing more on uh, mobile development with different cross-platform frameworks. Uh, I started off, uh, worked for a company where we took the interventional radiology departments in hospitals. And we had a full workflow within that, and we migrated a Foxboro application to a full stack web web uh, site back there when it was Sentia XJS was big, big and popular. Uh, from there, we had uh, doctors that were requesting a mobile solution and we were .NET shops. So we actually started looking at Xamarin and this is right before Microsoft bought them. Uh, so we, we did a couple of uh, mobile applications that way. And over the years have evolved where look at um, React Native did some React Native development. Uh, most of the native development I've done uh, has been either plugins, um, uh, some uh, applications for myself, but most of the time has been um, uh, plugin support for the cross-platform frameworks. Because a lot of times we're I've worked with small teams and we've had to deal with supporting both iOS and Android uh, over the past uh, few years. So that's where most of my um, uh, native development has been um, on that. I've worked with uh, React uh, JS, and we'll get into like declarative and Flutter. And how I got into Flutter is actually interesting. I was working for a consulting company, and we had a marketing person where she was very enthusiastic about signing up for all these different meetups to to present our marketing pitch. And she wound up doing one for a, a technical meetup, and she realized very quickly that she was not the right candidate to do that. So she asked me to kind of fill in. So August of 2018, I was given the opportunity to do a, a meetup. And I said, that's fine. I want to do something that I like to cover as a topic. So I did kind of the state of the state of cross-platform frameworks. And I've heard of Flutter, and and but never really delved into it. So I kind of did that uh, meetup. And then from there, for myself, I basically signed myself up in November for another meetup to do an hour-long presentation on Flutter. So I took those four months and actually dove into Flutter, started using it a lot, started really liking it. Um, and from there, did some blogging uh, on it. I did a five-part series on um, animations with Flutter. From there, uh, Manning Publication picked, picked uh, me up, and we had our discussions just as Flutter became the 1.0 release in December of 2018. And then for 2019, basically, uh, created a video course, which is interesting. I've never created a video course before. Uh, I wrote the app in a week and then I had nine months of editing a video, uh, and getting it right, breaking it down. So 
it's kind of that it was, I'm glad I did it. I don't know if I would do it all the time. I'm, it's one of those, I like to do more ad hoc trainings. Uh, in fact, when I was doing the video course, I was training my team on Flutter as well. And we had a couple of uh, applications coming up and I gave the, the team the option because we had developers that were doing native, uh, React Native uh, as well. And I said, well, which, plat- which platform do you want to uh, do this iOS Android solution? And we did it. That was their first app in Flutter. Uh, a company called, uh, a nonprofit called College Crusade that actually helps um, first generation children uh, from uh, families move in, uh, follow them from sixth grade and get them into college and, and help them along the way. So that was kind of rewarding in doing that process. My current role now, I work for a company called Medically Home. Uh, so we're in that model that you'll start hearing more of uh, where they're shifting hospital stays. Not, and again, I'm not saying every hospital, it's like 30% of hospital stays could potentially be done at home and remote with uh, paramedic support. Uh, and virtual hospitals. So here we have, um, we partner with Mayo Clinic and Kaiser Permanente, uh, where we're, uh, they're big investors in our company. Um, and we're uh, building several different apps. One is our virtual hospital app that the patients get. They get a tablet that allows them to, um, have video conference calls with, uh, doctors and nurses. So they have, if they need something, uh, if there's an emergency, they can hit it. They get a call like, uh, call the uh, nurse on call in the command center who's, who's basically monitoring several patients, just like a normal hospital. And then at the same time, we also do a lot of um, uh, medical devices, so a lot of wearables. This is, but this is beyond your normal watch. This is uh, key points that are getting uh, temperature readings. Uh, we're doing your standard, your blood pressure cuff, and all that. And that's more uh, Bluetooth. So it's. It's one of those jobs that I've worked for companies that are insurance companies and it's like, okay, that's a good, it's interesting. The app technology is good, but this is probably one of the companies where it's not only is the technology and development really interesting and, and challenging, uh, but it's also what we're doing. It's actually making an impact on, on people's lives. So it's, um, again, the company is called Medically Home. Uh, we're actually are hiring. We're uh, building our U.S. base of developers. We have a, a couple of teams uh, that are remote, uh, but we're looking to build build out the uh, uh, the U.S. based teams, um, and we're looking to hire next year. The company is growing uh, leaps and bounds with all the investments we've had. Uh, so that's my plug for um, for the company. Um, and then we're building, we're using Flutter. Uh, so it's not that okay. I've done Flutter in the past. I did a video course, but the teams we're using um, are doing everything in Flutter. We do a lot of technology where we do native code. Um, so a lot of the Bluetooth, we're not using the plugins that are out there uh, for Bluetooth. We're running our own because we have some more stringent testing and guidelines that we have to follow um, on that. And Bluetooth can be challenging. It's one of those things where, you know, you, you step on a scale and it'll transmit and advertise the data, but it's a wireless connection. So it's you have to handle uh, when there's intermittent, uh, the interval process. So there's a lot of complexities in that. So it's really challenging. But at the same time, it's, uh, for me, it's very rewarding to, to work on a team like that. So um, from there, I figured this is more where people are interesting. A lot of times, do we do Flutter? Uh, why do I, why have I chosen Flutter uh, to work with? So a lot of times um, I look at the history of where it came from. Uh, again, I've used different cross-platform frameworks uh, and now the shift in the industry has really changed a lot where 
you're getting into more of uh, what we call declarative instead of imperative UI development. So what's the difference is basically if you look at what um, it's either uh, working on data is deciding what your UI will look like. So you're no longer really writing uh, like back in the day. And the, really the start of this has been a lot of people say it's the React.js um, change where you weren't writing directly with HTML uh, and you weren't manipulating the DOM directly. And then you, you had this idea where you would write out a render uh method that actually in that you'd had back in the, in the early stages, it was JavaScript objects. Um, but then it became this JSX, which were you were basically declaring what your UI should look like. And then what changes that is the data. So your state changes that. So that's where a lot of things uh, evolved in that. And that was React JS for the web, React Native came about. And people were jumping on that. So that was really interesting on that. You still have challenges. Your mindset has to change a little bit uh, on that uh, because it's more of your rendering. You're constantly rendering. So in the React uh, JS was the reconciliation um, engine that actually determined, okay, are these changes that then we have to cross over the DOM boundary? And that was really where React was coming about is because crossing that DOM boundary was expensive uh, and performance. So they, they built that reconciliation um, engine to determine, okay, are these changes really happening? So on the JavaScript side, you're kind of building and rebuilding the UI, but it's not always updating uh, the DOM. Flutter took that approach and went with it. Uh, uh, again, it started with uh, Dart. Uh, the Dart language was, I think, uh, the way I say is and, uh, Google's attempt to try to replace JavaScript. Um, with Dart, um, but at the time it was a, a just-in-time library. Uh, over the years, they played around with it and uh, made it AOT. So the thing that people, when you're talking about Flutter, you don't want to get into that sense of you're not converting Dart code into uh, Objective-C or, or uh, Java or Kotlin. Yeah, okay. What you're actually doing is you're still using the Dart, uh, the Dart virtual uh, machine. It's big, but it's compiled into machine uh, code. So that's where the performance when they get the native. So when you're developing, you want to be able to quickly do a hot reload. So when you're building your UI, as you make your changes, you want your changes to happen a lot. So you have this uh, hot reload. So every time you make a file change, it quickly um, uh, compiles your, your um, files and actually renders that. So that's the benefit of when you're going into these declarative, you're declaring a lot of it. If you look at Swift UI, they're doing the same thing. Uh, I'm not, I haven't delved deeply into the architecture of Swift UI of how the rendering is, is working, but it's very similar where it's, it's a method that builds based on data change. So that's, that's the piece that, you know, you got to think about when you're, uh, doing this is now you're redrawing, rebuilding these, uh, structures. And for Flutter, it's, different trees. You have your widget tree where you basically declare everything, a lot of your configurations there. Your element tree, which is more in your kind of your middle gown and the rendering of determining, okay, do I need to cross into the UI? And then you have your render, uh, the rendering tree. And that's where it uses instead of um, uh, the UI components of the platform. So if you look at like React uh, Native or even um, per se, when you build out and declare in JSX what your UI should look like. Well, that UI component that built is actually translated. They have 
they utilize like CSS style JavaScript, which basically translates over using um, uh, Facebook's uh, yoga uh, layout um, library that allows it to translate into the native platform. So it's UI view. So your idea is when you declare my UI component for a button, that button won't look the same based on um, Android or iOS. It's the platform's component. Flutter is different. They actually stepped away and said, okay, instead of having this bridge that translates over to the platform, they use Skia. So Skia is a 2D rendering uh, framework that Google purchased the company, I think, in 2005. Uh, And Chrome, uh, some components in Android, uh, utilize this uh, framework, and and it's a rendering. It's uh, Basically, you can write your own uh, rendering UI with it by using uh, the C and C++ libraries with it. But the idea is that now they've taken all the, the, the rendering and mechanisms for building out the UI off the platform. And the only thing they use on the platform is the canvas and the event mechanism. So you think about it, it's basically it's you're, you're painting on a canvas and you, you're not limited to having to translate everything to the different platforms. So that's kind of one of the draws that, that got me shifting away from uh, React Native into, uh, into Flutter uh, in building that. Uh, the challenge is, like anything else, is that build uh, method. So every time your data changes, your UI is rendering, and that goes through a cycle where the widget tree will constantly is designed to be rebuilt constantly, very quickly. The element tree determines, okay, do we do we make that step and cross over? Um, so a lot of times your mindset of how to build out the application is different. Swift UI, again, similar. Uh, you also have um, on the Android side, Jetpack Compose. Uh, they're all shifting to this declarative where you just focus your UI based on um, uh, elements, but based on data. Data makes the change, makes the determination what your UI would do. So you're you're focusing on the data, not the how to make, how, not how to set the text. Your data actually tells the framework, and the framework does it for you. So you're getting a little more abstraction away from the code, even though underneath it's still doing all that. Uh, and there will still always be developers that focus on that raw uh, interaction with the components. But the declarative is basically you're thinking about you're just declaring what your UI should look like, and then the framework does the rest. Um, so that's where, like, a lot of these um, uh, frameworks work, work on, they provide that. So um, any questions? I know I've been rambling. No, you went over so many different topics, uh, one over another, but all of them were, were, were very interesting. I think the, the most interesting part that... M- Maybe I haven't looked in the right sources, but I don't think there's a big um, push in Flutter, like when you're starting off, like about how and why everything works the way it does, right? Uh, what I'm talking about is basically the two types of trees, the widget tree and then the element tree. The, the widget tree is very clear, right? Because you're always working with the widget tree. Correct. The element tree, that part is not clear. But if you don't understand how they interact, then it gets confusing. And then you're like, why do I need keys? And why is stuff not working properly when I have similar elements? And this kind of question, right? So, and I think a lot of the problems with the documentation out there is they don't, people don't focus on that first. So a lot of times it's when I interview developers to help understand whether or not they really know what the framework's doing, I'll actually delve into, you know, What's a widget? What's an element? And I'm not looking for the textbook definition. I mean, I, nobody, uh, if somebody knows it like that, then they're on probably a different plane than me and they're probably 
really good if they if they can describe it word for word. But it's more of you know understanding what happens and how the element. So when you get into a difference between a, uh, a staple widget and what's actually happening, and why does what is the hot reload don't, doesn't refresh all the time and work? And why do you have to do a hot restart? Because that's understanding what the element tree is and how it's maintaining the state. Because uh, the widget tree is being destroyed and built all the time. The element tree is what's, what's there and holding that state. So, and the reason you need keys is usually it references back every time you rebuild the widget tree, the element tree, the framework winds up based on the type of element. It rebuilds that uh, and relinks you back to the element uh, of that. So if you look at the build method, there's that build context. That actually is just a wrapper around the element. If you dig into the native, uh, the actual code of that, it is a representation of what the element is. It's kind of a wrapper uh, on that. And from there, there are uh, things that you have to think about because when you rebuild and you're using just the uh, the type of widget to relink things, sometimes there's a confusion, especially if there's multiple um, widgets that have the same type. And that's where the key comes into play. So the biggest thing is when like the form, uh, you have form data uh, with that to link that up every time the widget tree is rebuilt, you've got to use key to, so the element tree can, can match up. And uh, if you follow along with the, like the flooring, uh, the boring flutter um, show that they do it, it is kind of boring sometimes to watch, but they have an episode where they talk about uh, they actually coded and they ran into a problem and then they figured out, oh, it's because they needed utilize keys. So again, that's that's where when you're getting into a cross-platform framework, uh, and this goes back to when I started doing uh, React Native, uh, and I would get web developers that because they we had managers that were saying, well, they know React for the web, React Native is the same thing, and, and trying to, to let them know, no, it's not the same thing. It's the syntax, the language is the same. Um, on that, but the actual plumbing and what, how it interacts with the platform is different. And that's where kind of separate out your kind of your junior developer to your more senior because they understand, okay, when you're digging into problems and, and what's involved in that, you have to understand that, that build context and what's happening and what goes through the state element uh, on that. So that's always, that's always a, a challenge. And the same thing will happen with Swift UI. Um, and Jetpack Compose, there's, you've got to understand what's happening underneath. Why are things happening? I mean, biggest thing now with, uh, Flutter, when you compare whether you want to do, uh, iOS, native iOS or Flutter, it, you know, the whole, um, conversion from OpenGL to, to Metal and the problems with, uh, a little bit of, uh, janking on the UI for your animations. That's, you got to kind of understand what's going on and, and, um, that will help you fix that. And a lot of times you'll, you'll see a lot of times in the blogs and people will, will do Flutter versus iOS. And to me, that's the wrong approach. You're not choose, there are reasons you would choose Flutter and there are reasons you would go with native iOS. Okay. If you're, if you're in a large enterprise and you've got the team, the big team, you can dedicate a team for, for Android and a dedicated team for uh, iOS, that makes sense. You know, uh, get better uh, ideal native support in that, and that may be the way to, way to go. If you're in a, a small team, but 
you're in the Apple ecosystem where you're looking at, okay, uh, maybe a Mac OS app and uh, iOS app and maybe the Apple TV. You can use, you can then, I would say, yeah, then maybe UI should, go, um, native should go that way. But then you want to think about, okay, is Swift UI ready for prime time? You know, Swift UI is at version 3.0. It's got a lot of features, a lot of nice functionality in there. Um, but I think for simple apps, you could probably get away with. Um, for more complex apps, that's where I think some of the developers are, are holding off and they're waiting. They're, you hear anything from two to five years wait, but it all depends. You know, Apple is putting a lot of weight into this uh, and they're constantly evolving it. So it could be next year, the next release of Swift UI 4.0, it's a good thing. But then you need to decide what you want to, what are you developing? What are your needs? Uh, for us, we're, we've got a, a good sized team and, but we're handling not only, uh, applications on a tablet, as you can see back behind me, we're also doing, um, mobile devices. So our providers, our doctors, the paramedics, they have mobile devices. So we, we not dictating to them iOS or Android. So we have to support that. Uh, at the same time, our applications across the different platforms are, um, are using some core functionality. So we have some of our own um, core libraries that we use that are used across the different applications. So for us, Flutter was kind of the, the best approach for us. We do make our own native component. We do write native code. So we have uh, developers that do both. I mean, I do um, Kotlin and um, Swift in our, um, our plugins. So we're not, um, not just pure Flutter. Uh, I always say, if you're doing mobile development, the more senior developers are not just Flutter and Dart. They're also understand iOS development. They've, they've developed at least a couple of apps in iOS. They've co- uh, developed a couple of uh, Android apps. And so they can deal with uh, working with that com- those components because it, it helps. Because for us, it's always we build our own plugins. We test them separately. Um, but then we have to integrate them with it. And we utilize you know Flutter for the UI. Uh, we do a lot of functionality where um, we have SQLite in the background on the, on the devices. And all that, we're using some plugins. We are using some third-party plugins. But some of the critical stuff, we actually have to do it ourselves due to the fact that our, the regulations and testing cycles that we have to go through. Uh, it's interesting enough, our virtual hospital app, which started off as iOS, we're supporting both Android and iOS for that, but we're shifting a little bit away from iOS due to the fact that Apple has a little more restriction for us. So if we still have to go through the approval process, we, we applied several times for like, uh, enterprise license and Apple, you know, for a consumer, Apple has a good uh, ecosystem to protect it for developers. Sometimes it's challenging for us. So we're actually shifting uh, more towards an Android solution, um, uh, for our virtual hospital app. So we can actually have more control over the device for, um, on that, uh, things like MDM where you can use simple MDM to manage it, but we're going a little bit further where, because for us, if we have a critical bug, we can't wait for Apple to approve it. We actually have to get it out there quickly. Um, so that's, that's one of the things. But our other providers for the medics, um, for the doctors, uh, for the nurses, that we're doing cross-platform and we have to support it. So Flutter made the, uh, the right decision for us, uh, and not going pure native for, for the different UIs. So even though our tablets may shift to be pure 
Um, Android devices will still utilize Flutter because we're sharing a lot of components across the different ecosystems of the apps that we support. Yeah. Again, I appreciate everything you say, but you, you touched on so many interesting topics. Um, and, and one of them ring back to me, which is uh, talking about the team sizes and when you choose to do which one. So one of my current clients, we, we help them to do basically the back end for their system. Uh, but it was like a founder or like a CEO type guy. Uh, and then they had two other guys working uh, with them. One was a specializing iOS, one specialized in Android. And although it's like basically a team of three, I would say, um, they decided to go native for each one because each one of those guys knew the native platform already. Um, but then like over time watching them develop, um, I think SwiftUI just came out. And so he was really interest, interested in that, uh, the iOS guy. And he just basically got onto that train. It took him a long time to kind of get up to speed with it, which happens, right? When you're switching kind of yeah. technologies and things like that or switching methodologies. But the other thing too is um, the the uh, the CEO reached out to me to talk about stuff, and he basically just said, "Hey, listen, you know the biggest issue I have right now, the biggest issue we have right now is iOS. It's just uh, a pain. Um, there's always a bug going on, and um, especially with Swift UI, it's just like tons of issues they're running into, even with different versions of of uh, Xcode. And like, it's funny. Like, I keep telling these guys from the very beginning, hey, why don't you check out Flutter, right?'" And I'm thinking to myself, like, my history with Flutter, it's nice because if there's a bug in the UI, you can just maybe upgrade the, the you know, Flutter and then just output another one, right? Because they kind of control their own ecosystem of the rendering. And that pretty much solves most of the most of the problems. Um, but, uh, yeah, not even that, though. But I've also been hit personally by uh, just iOS versions for platform-specific things. Like uh, one thing I ran into somewhat recently, a few months ago, which was when you have like, um, what's that called? Deep linking. For deep linking, for some reason, between patch versions of iOS 15, they reacted totally differently. Yeah. I mean, it's, and that's where I, I always say, yes, you, you can utilize Flutter, but you're going to run into platform specific um, challenges as well with um, plugging it and understanding the different platforms is key uh, for development. I mean, for, it's tough when you get a new, uh, get a company that's starting up and then you have a developer who, who knows iOS. But I think choosing to go to SwiftUI when it's in the early stages, that's a risk. Uh, and that's part of, you've got a, everything in development, there's risk and you really have to manage that risk. So, um, if you're putting all your weight into a brand new technology, uh, even though it's Apple's technology, it's still new. And it may, it may not, uh, you have to go through a learning curve and you're going to run into challenges. And a lot of times it's people haven't written, uh, out there. Like a lot of times you search, surf the web for answers, see if anybody else is having those problems until, until there's momentum and shifting in that, you don't get a lot of the resolution as quickly as possible. So I think it's a, if you were looking at Swift UI 1.0 and 2.0, it's a risk. 3.0, it's, there's a lot more support out there, but again, the, what I'm hearing, it's more of simple apps, you know, uh, but again, it's, it's one of those things where what do you choose and, and what, if you're doing iOS and Android, which most mobile developers are, you probably, I would, uh, unless you have the money and the resources, because you think about it, if it's two developers, that's one person 100% working on Android, and then you're reproducing the same thing with another developer on iOS. 
if you can get a cross-platform framework in there, then you can focus and build out the app uh, and save some time there. So that's the key for, for management and business is saving time. But there's also the technology. Do you have the skill sets? Do you need to bring in expertise? So a lot of times, companies like that should usually look at bringing in a consulting services. But you've got to be wary of that. I've, I've worked with companies where I've walked in and uh, the company recommended, uh, they sold the idea back, back in the day, they were sold the idea of uh, all your developers are React.js developers, React Native is the way to go because it, it's, it's an easy transition. And that was the selling point. And then this consulting company worked three years at this company. And then when I came on board, I'm looking at the code and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, the consulting company actually used this company as a testing ground in building their skill sets up in React Native. So a lot of times, companies, when they're doing it, you've got to really look at the portfolio of that company that, that they're coming in and do they have the skill sets uh, um, to do that. So I would say if you were in that situation when you had one developer iOS and one developer Android, it's coming in and kind of pitching the idea of Flutter. And it's hard. I mean, change is hard for anybody. I mean, nobody wants, oh, I got to relearn something new. Uh, and that's always a, a tough sell in that. But it's, you got to talk to the technology. You got to talk about how it happens. You got to give them that experience in slow steps and get them to agree that, yes, this would be the right solution uh, because that would save them time. But again, if you're a large company and you have a team of 10 Android developers, team of 10 iOS developers, and you have the resources to have uh, the UX engineers designed both for uh, Android and iOS because the, the UI and the ecosystem is slightly different there. So your design would be different if you're doing um, that. Then, yeah, I would say go native. Um, but a lot of times people, companies don't have that resources. So it's more of looking at cross-platform. And again, when you talk about cross-platform, it's, you know, you, you hear like Flutter is does web. Well, do I recommend building a complete website in Flutter. No, I think it's more of if you're building a mobile app and doing uh, Flutter for your mobile app, but you need a quick and simple website, okay, I would recommend maybe building it in Flutter because you, uh, your skill sets and your mindset is there. Um, I've got a company that I advise for called uh, Digio that they're building a social app that's coming out uh, the end of this year, and we have remote developers, and they're utilizing Flutter. Uh, and then we need a simple website up. We chose to go Flutter uh, for for the website. It's very simple, not that complicated. Uh, but again, those are the determining factors of what platform, what technology you use, and how do you approach um, the challenge. I mean, that's what it is. is you look at the challenge first and then make your decision. And if you have the time and energy to to bring up skill sets and, and a cross-platform solution is the way to go, then make that effort uh, in that. Or bring in a, con a company that has experience. Now there's a lot more people doing development. When I started, I mean, I was just blogging for myself uh, to get experience and understanding uh, of Flutter and many picked it up because there weren't a lot of people doing that back then. Now it's it's exploded. I mean, everywhere else. I mean, you look at the job postings for for Flutter uh, engineers. They're, they're all over the map um, across the country and across the world. But again, it's don't go with, I have my, it's, don't come in with flares everything. Come in with your tool bag of, okay, let's look at the problem first and then make a decision what, what to go with. I think that's, that's how I would approach it. 
Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, but going back to that, yeah, I think um, the issue is, at least with that team, um, when you have when you say this is cross platform, immediately that leaves a very sour taste in everybody's mouth because I think a lot of people remember like Ionic and this kind of experience, and it's like, you know, what are you giving up? It's basically what you're going to run into. What are you giving up, right? Even with React Native, right? It's always it's funny because whenever somebody mentions React Native, that one of the key words they always talk about is performance. Yes. But at the same time, performance you can squeeze out because look at Discord. I mean, the Discord app is written in React uh, React uh, Native, but they manage to squeeze out quite a bit of performance. These guys are really into performance because that's all they blog about on their technology blog. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's ways to squeeze out performance, but... Well, it's it, it's understandable. Like, every solution has its drawbacks. It's like you bring in 10 architects into a room, you're going to get 10 different designs. Um, a lot of times it's when somebody comes up with a design, I said, okay, give me three problems with your design. And then you manage that risk uh, of those uh, of that design because not everything's perfect. Is Flutter perfect? No. It maybe uh, provides some um, functionality that you can use for a particular uh, solution, but it, it's not going to be, it's not the catch-all. It's not like, oh, we're going to build everything in Flutter. You know, you've got a uh, Flutter desktop now. I can see uh, you have Flutter for the web where I'm like, yeah, I'd st- I would still use this. So many better tools out there for web development. Um, but thing that's interesting is, is Flutter Desktop does provide me this idea. Oh, maybe this is this is useful if you wanted to do uh, multiple multiple desktop supports. But if your your whole uh, company and and the product is, needs desktop support for Mac only, I would stick with native and, and Swift UI because you can build out. Uh, iOS uh, with Swiss UI, but also the desktop, that makes it a good fit, you know, and and I would look at things of that nature of how to determine. But yeah, I mean, Flutter's not perfect. We run into challenges with it. We're we're writing native code to fit in, fill in some of those holes that we have. You know, we, not everything is, is written in Dart. Not everything is a Flutter widget. So you have to balance those those challenges. Um, but again, it's it's having the experience and, and understanding what the framework can and cannot do for you, you know, because a lot of times it is that, you know, you'll hear like, I mean, when Xamarin was out, you'd always hear performance problems. Um, but if you dug into what uh, the problems were is because people weren't understanding how um, the .NET en- uh, Mono engine worked with iOS. So it, they got hammered with, with iOS support because, what was happening is people weren't releasing their event handlers properly and they were getting into memory leaks and the app would eventually crash. But that's because they, they didn't understand what was happening underneath. Um, so a lot of times I've seen companies where they just blindly start developing and then they get their first release out. They've been testing. They've got 20 users testing it. Looks great. They ship it, goes out there in the market, and then they got a ton of crashes and their ratings go down around the toilet because some things that ha- that one they couldn't they didn't test all the solutions properly, but then they run into problems where a lot of times it's they didn't understand the framework from the beginning, and that's where you need kind of a lead that kind of has that experience and can um, can make that determination. And that was the thing with Flutter when it first came out. Um, we had a small app uh, for that College Crusade app that we were building, and 
it was simple enough. There wasn't a lot of complexity in it. So it made sense to use it, um, use it there. And the developers wanted to, uh, to go with it. But for a larger application, we did another app where we were doing for a housing complex for, for doing, uh, on-site auditing of, um, rental properties. We didn't go with Flutter for that because we needed a lot more, uh, native fun- uh, functionality and UI development with that. Um, and so we, and we had been using React Native on that. So that we went with that for a solution. So again, it all depends on what you're running into, you know, and thinking about it, but also don't think about it like, I love Flutter and this is any, nothing else uh, I'm going to look at. You kind of got to balance that out. I don't know. It's hard for me to get into React Native because every time I remember the past and I get like, you know, NPM is not a friend of mine. Yeah. And uh, uh, whenever I upgrade, <laughs> whenever yeah. I upgrade some piece, like everything busted and I was just like, this is horrible. I tried yeah. to give it, uh, you know, some some time and, and some patience, but once I, I looked at Flutter, like, because I, again, like kind of talking back about the, the guy saying like, okay, it's cross-platform, must, what are you giving up? And I look at it and I tried it and it, the biggest thing was it worked immediately and I could upgrade pieces without a problem and things are quite stable. Um, that's one of the things that, that I love about Flutter is like, they try not to break APIs as much as possible and that's nice. But yeah, I'm not opposed to things breaking for the benefit of, you know, the better future, right? But but any, anyways, like, that was one of the things that really drew me in was just like, this just works and it's only gotten better since then. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, here we're on um, uh, 253 uh, and the performances, uh, the bug fixes, the noise that you hear of people that are like will slam flutter, it's starting to die down because... Because the product is maturing and becoming far more stable and really producing what it's meant to do, being a cross-platform framework to work with, uh, and getting that performance um, out in, in native um, native solutions when you compile it for the platform. So it it has matured. Uh, I'm not. I hate and I apologize for any JavaScript developers that are out there. I hate JavaScript. I I was never a fan of it. I didn't, I think it was a, I mean, a, a great language to use. I, you know, I, I had to use it because I was a full stack developer doing web development. Um, but I, I like um, utilizing Dart. And again, you'll have people that say Dart's not a great language. Uh, it's missing pieces. But you got to think about how it evolved and how it, um, what its purpose is, and and understand the differences. Uh, but again, with Flutter. The biggest thing I love about this compared to React Native is the channel, uh, building out uh, the plugin, building um, plugins in React Native. Where I always found it challenging uh, and difficult to bug, debug, and test with uh, the Flutter with uh, method channels and event channels. I found it very easy uh, to work with and seamless. Uh, great performance in that area, um, and of course, we're building a lot of native code um, for that. And I haven't, we haven't seen a lot of problems with that at all. Uh, so I kudos to the team for, for really thinking down and, and designing that approach. Uh, because that, that itself is allows you to extend Flutter for things that may not be there. For us, it's more of because we have specific wearable devices that we have to interact with the vendors, uh, SDK and that SDK is not public. Uh, because, and then we build out, they don't support, a lot of them don't support Flutter, but they support the native, um, platforms and, and it makes it easy for us to just build out a plugin and interact with it. So, but yeah, I mean, compared to 
for myself, I'm I'm a big Flutter uh, proponent. I love it. I I will always look at it as part of my tool bag going in and looking at a problem. Uh, and but at the same time, I'm willing to to talk to other people and kind of go through and understand what what the concerns are and challenges. But I think right now, as Flutter has grown uh, and a lot of the naysayers, they're, they're they're slowly getting drowned out by one tons of companies doing it. So if you've you've got an easy to use language, Dart is very easy. If you've worked with other languages, Dart's the, very easy to pick up and start working with. If you've got some like for me. I came more from uh, C, C sharp background. The Dart was very easy to work uh, to work with and pick up. Uh, and uh, I've had again JavaScript developers that have shifted over um, to Flutter, and they've actually fallen in love with it as well because it is the tool set. One of the other things is is the tool set. You come in, especially if so. Some of our developers use um, Android Studio, others use VS Code. The tool set. Uh, that's really built in. The challenge you had with React Native was, you know, you had to piecemeal a lot of these tools together with NPM packages and, and you always had conflicts and, and all that. With here, most of the tool sets come from Google and you're able to um, utilize that and they're pretty solid and consistent, which is really nice. Uh, yeah, I did want to talk a little bit more. Like we, we spent a lot of time on React Native, uh, Swift UI, but we didn't talk a lot about Jetpack Compose. I know I have a book about it, but I haven't, uh, actually cracked it open to take a look at how the whole thing works. Is it also, you said it's also similar to Swift UI and kind of Flutter where you kind of have this declarative UI and this kind of hot reloads? Yeah, so it's in, in shifting where most of what you had with uh, Android development, you had your, um, you can define your UI in um, uh, like an XML syntax and you're interacting with that directly. Jetpack Compose is your, just like you're, you're declaring what your UI should look like and you're creating components, you're composing components uh, based on like with Flutter, you're basically, you're, you're, you take a text box, you wrap it with a container, you give it a border. Same thing happens just similar to Swift UI, Jetpack Compose, you're doing the same. I've, I've played around with it. I haven't done a lot of uh, development with it. Um, and again, most of our, um, all our UI is pretty much Flutter. Uh, most of our native code is is uh, just just mostly in platforms, you know, and uh, plugins. We're not doing a lot of platform views for our component, but the building out the UI is the same thing. Is is you're you're working on based on your state is changing, your data is re-rendering your UI. So the mindset is is the same. And that's the nice thing about it. The Swift UI, Jetpack Compose, Flutter, the mind your developer mindset of okay, my UI is going to change based on what my data is. I don't have to worry about how to change the UI. I just need to write the logic to say this is what the data when the data is like this. I want to render something different. And Jetpack Compose is very, very similar. And if you've done anything with Flutter, looking at Jetpack Compose, uh, it's just functions. Um, you build out uh, functions for your your components. Um, but it, it looked pretty straightforward in a couple of UIs I built uh, uh, I built out. But then again, version 1.0 I think came out in last August. So just like Swift UI, there's, there's, there's missing pieces probably that need to be developed uh, over the time, and people have to come up with best approaches for designing um, your your code around that, how to manage state, how to do your transitions, navigating. All that has to be kind of worked out. So it's still in early stages, but again, a lot of people are gravitating to it because um, for Android development. 
you know. And again, for us, we we have our tablets, which are mostly Android, but we're still using Flutter for the UI. Okay, that that's good to know. Um, yeah. So the the cross platform aspect, right? We talked quite a bit about that. Um, can you talk more about like the different layers involved, right? Because for the most part, a lot of simple apps and a lot of developers they stake into Flutter only land, right? But there's a lot of different layers within the, uh, you know, how things can be kind of cross-platform where you have to start digging into native code, right? Right. Well, it's, I mean, so if you look at like just the rendering engine, so if you go to the uh, the Flutter website, look at the architecture and they'll talk about the layers of Flutter where majority of everything is written in Dart at, at the higher level. So everything for UI and all that, um, the widgets and, and defining everything, and then it gets into the better where, where it then goes into that, okay, I'm on a platform. Well, if you're on iOS and Android, you're using Skia. If you're on web, that actually, it's a whole different level because it, it actually compiles it into JavaScript um, and components on there. I haven't done a lot of digging that far into the website. So again, I would, I, I wouldn't recommend building a whole website um, uh, in Flutter at this point, but uh, uh, if you have small, simple websites uh, to test out the waters, it, it's nice uh, on that. But the whole mechanism of uh, how to get into, like if you're doing native develop, uh, doing iOS and, and Android development, writing plugins, uh, that's where, is that where you're kind of talking talking about and get more exposure? Yeah, I wanted to just talk just in general about, you know, how is it that Flutter can be kind of more, it can be native, can dig into to the platform, but also still be kind of cross-platform, right? Uh, it's kind of a really vague question, so if there's anything you want to talk more about, because this is something that you brought up yourself, about how is Flutter cross-platform get into the architecture, right? This is one of the points that you brought up. Um, for me, I'm just kind of thinking all over the place, because we had a recent guest who actually managed to help port the engine to embedded uh, devices. Uh, and he talked a lot about like, actually, it's amazing. Like there's like, I forgot how many, it's like five to eight like callbacks. Once you implement those callbacks, everything just works. Like he, cause he's working on embedded stuff. So there's like a touch UI and he's like, as soon as I hooked up the, you know, the, the hardware, uh, and I had an implement those eight callbacks, like everything was working. It just, my app just worked exactly like as it would on like a, my, my desktop or any kind of other environment. Yeah, so for, for going to a different platform, what it is, especially uh, for embedded or, or going from iOS to a desktop, the, the skier framework, so that library is a, a C, a C++ based, uh, I think it's more C, uh, rendering library that actually is responsible. And then that library supports multiple platforms. So if you go to the skio.org uh, website, they'll talk about the different platforms in which that framework works. So what's happening is the uh, the Flutter, the embedded uh, the Dart language communicates with the Skia for that particular platform. And again, once you're on that platform and you're running the code, everything else is very similar on that. To actually get into that level of that, when you look at the diagrams um, on the Flutter website, you get to that C and C++ level that's you know, usually colored in yellow. Um, I haven't gotten to that level and, and done that. But what what's in that layer is... a the bridging mechanism for plugins. So when I need to communicate to a native um, code on uh, iOS, you have a structured um, plugin uh, structure where the API is standard in code, and this mechanism is a callback. 
from there, you're running your native code to interact with it at that level. You don't have to worry about, okay, how do, how is the callback working and all that? What you can do is just focus on that native uh, piece of the code. But I would imagine for the different embedders, because um, uh, I think it's, I, correct me if I'm wrong, was it Honda that was looking at um, in the last... Um, Toyota, I think. Toyota? Okay. So they were talking about building the embedded um, mechanism. So they're just taking one layer. The rest of Flutter is still the same. So for us as Flutter developers, that piece is the same. What's happening is underneath is interacting with the hardware of that particular platform. Now, the biggest change is a web-based Flutter app because it's being transcompiled into JavaScript. So that's that kind of makes it a little more challenging on that. But for other uh, devices, desktop, the Linux uh, desktop, that's where I see a lot of uh, promise to be able to build uh, desktop apps if you need to uh, have a companion app to your um, mobile application. Flutter makes a good cha uh, chase there, and you can still have um, interaction with native code if you need to. Yeah, I was just thinking more about the last guest, right? It's, it's quite interesting. Like, um, he basically looked at uh, Flutter... Flutter Pi, PI for the Raspberry Pi, because uh, I asked them because basically they what what they do is they they use. Uh, did you look at embedded development? Have you ever heard about something called uh, Nerves Project? No, I haven't. Okay, so Nerves Project is basically um, you use like Build Root to kind of assemble all the OS, and uh, but actually both is kind of extracted from you. So you you actually use this thing called Nerves, which is built upon uh, Elixir. So basically, your process one is just an Elixir process. And then all the, the stuff underneath it is basically being supervised or started up uh, underneath it. So if like those pieces ever fail, it'll just restart it for you. And, and he, uh, what he did, like I said, is he, he used the Flutter Pi thing because the problem is, I asked him, I said, why don't you take a look at like the Linux one? Uh, he said, basically, that one doesn't work out too well because this is embedded devices. Resources are quite small. And I think he said that the Linux one is using a lot of like GTK, which is a little bit resource heavy or whatever framework it is in case I got that one wrong. Um, so he built, he kind of looked at the Flutter Pi one and, uh, and, and changed that one up. Um, but, but actually it's quite interesting what the way he talks about it is that like, uh, Flutter worked great, especially for nerves, because basically you had this process one, which was Elixir process and that started up the embedder. And even though even though if his embedder ever failed, it would just restart that Flutter process thing, because that's the way like, uh, supervision tree works in like Erlang and, and Elixir. Um, and also he was talking about like platform channels because I asked him like, how would platform channels work in this case? He said, you know, you can basically just use uh, Elixir as basically the, the platform channel and that one. Like, like you'd like Flutter would talk to Elixir and Elixir, if it had to, would actually dig down into the operating system after that. But Elixir would basically be the, the platform channel. And I thought that was even more interesting um, that you can do, do like whatever you want. And it makes a lot of sense too, because like that's all basically binary data being parsed. And that's actually what, the power of like Erlang and stuff is, is like the parsing of binary data going over the wire is really what it's, uh, what it's made for, right? Because it's for telephone switches. Mm. So I thought that was super interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, that maybe because you can take a look at that for your embedded work. You said you're looking at that recently. Yeah, I was actually uh, going the, a slightly different route looking at um, uh, starting with free RTOS. Uh, so an RTOS uh, operating system. Uh, just playing around because most of the embedded devices uh, that I've seen, I mean, they have their own stuff, but I wanted to just get a better sense of what's involved uh, in building uh, building an embedded device um, on that. And 
one kind of get back into a little bit of uh, C coding and, and experience that. I'm, I don't, I'm not looking to become an embedded developer. Um, long term, it's just more just getting an understanding of it and a uh, concept of what it takes to actually build out uh, a solution for that. So, um, but that's, yeah, it's, it's interesting how Flutter is being used for that and how they're using that. So it's, it's definitely growing. Like I said, it seems like companies are coming on board. Uh, and, uh, it'd be interesting. I know you even have the multi, um, platform, um, Jetpack Compose, uh, that are covering different platforms. So it's in- interesting to see what happens internally, uh, within Google on, on the different things. They always have the idea that some, uh, the team, different teams work on different, different projects, but Flutter is, you know, and that was one of the early things with Flutter is where, People weren't going with Flutter because they were always saying, well, Google has a tendency. They'll start something that's really cool and then they drop it uh, and they dump it. And a lot of in the early stages, a lot of people were hesitant, not because Flutter is just a new technology, but because Google had this tendency. Sometimes they'll try something uh, out and if it doesn't work well, they'll, they'll drop it. And so people were shy away. But it seems like this last year, it's just exploded with people saying, OK, this is good. It's it's past the muster. And people start using it more and more. One thing that's even more interesting is that, um, at least the Dart language, right? I don't think it's going anywhere because Dart is just powering so much stuff behind the scenes at Google. The only thing I could see happening with Dart is that people, maybe Google stops kind of pushing things outside because they started closing off some recent project. I think it was something with Angular Dart or something. But they basically said, like, the, the people who are using it is not very many. Only we are using it. So expect like less kind of output from us to the to the community, but just know that we're actually still using it. Just that you know because you guys are not using it, we're we're gonna kind of focus on our own efforts. That's that's what I understood from the announcement. Maybe I got that wrong, but the other thing too is like a lot of teams within Google themselves are rewriting their apps in Flutter, which is even more exciting. Like if you're rewriting the app in Flutter, then I think that's that's a sign, right? If you're going from native to this, then there's a sign over there. And then the other thing too that is kind of on the opposite side, which is like, well, why is Google investing in Flutter, but then they also have Android and Android native development and what's, you know, like that gets confusing for, I think, people. But then you have to also take a look at Fuchsia, right? So they said, okay, if you want to build apps in Fuchsia, Flutter is the, the thing. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it's there, it's, it's coming, but again, it's, it's open source. I mean, contributors for, Fixing the, the bugs in Flutter are not always, not just Google developers or other contributors to it. So it's, it's one of those where the momentum is there and then the community is there. And that would like say worst case, Google said it stepped away from it, which is not going to happen. But if they did, the community is still quite large and big and will grow and continue to grow. And I think, um, making your, your switch to utilize Flutter, um, you're not going to, um, you don't have as much to risk. On that, I think. Yeah, I think I think we're past the, you know, that that stage of uh, oh, I'm a, they're going to kill it soon or something like that. I think that's right. we're past that stage. But uh, yeah, I, I wish they would support a little bit more stuff uh, on the iOS stage, like um, you know, like uh, TVOS, WatchOS, this kind of stuff, because those are really exciting. Especially WatchOS, I think is the most exciting one to take a look at. There's more more and more people buying the Apple Watch. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can build extensions in Flutter. So you can build native extensions, uh, to interact, um, with the watch and a lot of the other, uh, functionalities within uh, native iOS. So 
the nice thing about it is you have the ability to extend your Flutter project to interact with some of those native. So if you are building a, uh, an iOS app that you want to get out there, but you also need some uh, watch support um, or some of the more advanced things, you can extend that. So again, Flutter, you can either build a Flutter app and embed native code, or you can go with a native app and embed Flutter into it. So you have that ability within the, but it all depends on what you need. But again, you can extend functionality by using native code when need to. I mean, it'd be interesting if, if they do, uh, down the road, we'll support that. I know, um, I think, uh, uh, React Native, they were coming out with a, a, a TVOS, uh, support at some point, but I haven't followed it since I've kind of, dropped off uh, following what React uh, Native has been doing because I've been focusing more on Flutter for the last couple of years. Yeah, for me, I'm hoping to build like watchOS apps directly because, right, they have their own their own system. Same for tvOS. But tvOS, I mean, if you look at the amount of TVs, Apple TVs versus watchOS, I, this is my own feeling. I don't have any data. I feel there's a lot more watches and there is TV stuff because people are just more mobile in, in general. And I think that's my feeling, but maybe you have different something yeah, maybe I mean, different the, idea. Uh, I'm always uh, looking at the data. So I work um, for a company, uh, an insurance company, and we were being hammered to to make sure our Android support was uh, at the same level and par. And then we looked at our customer base, and 80% of our customers were iOS, and 80% of our customers, when you know the new version of iOS came out, they were. I mean, we had customers that were, that were using the, a lot of customers using the beta program of iOS and, and jumping on that bandwagon. For uh, Apple TV, I mean, it depends on, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things of what, if you're building an app that's cross-platform, are you focusing strictly on an Apple TV uh, app? Uh, at that point, it, it would make sense to just go native. I don't know if they'll ever support it uh, with Flutter. Um, I mean, it, there's possibilities there, but again, uh, for me, I have Apple TV. Uh, I've got uh, we got an Airbnb, and we we also use Apple TV there, but that's more for entertainment. Um, not, I don't download apps to it. I don't utilize it. I just use it for um, for streaming video. So it all depends. I don't see a real need for a business app that's Apple TV, maybe uh, like a presentation, like you come into a company and you uh, they have Apple TV that has all the screens being controlled and displaying information about the company and having that evolve a little bit more. Maybe you need a custom app to do that, but uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it's Yeah, it's like Apple Watch. Uh, again, Swift UI is supporting there. Uh, the watches. The UI, you're, you're kind of restricted on what you can do compared to iOS. Um, so Swift UI would make a great option for, for that and, and a companion to, to do that. So, and again, it's the level of complexity is not there. So building out functionality and providing a, a companion watch product to your mobile app should, should be easy, uh, shouldn't be that difficult, uh, to do. And I think, uh, expanding Flutter to support that would easily work. Have I done that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't done it personally, but I, I think it, there's easy uh, looking at how to build it out. I think it'd be pretty easy to put forth and do it. Yeah, I, I, we had one guest on here uh, who also ported the engine, but he actually he said he ported the engine to tvOS, and their 
their product is all about streaming, streaming video. So that would make sense because obviously if you're going to watch Apple TV, you probably want to stream video, right? You got your Netflix app on there, YouTube, et cetera. So yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely does make sense. But they actually made the investment and ported it all over and they're actually using it right now, supposedly, oh, wow. uh, which I think is quite exciting. Um, but uh, actually, I think the, the last topic I want to talk about um, is you keep talking about like, Simple apps and complex apps, right? So you made a you made a point to say like Flutter for simple apps is really good, but what about now? Do you still think that that only for simple apps, or you think complex apps it's still uh, it's possible now? I think it's it's definitely possible and doable. I mean, where our application is is complex. We're we're dealing with we're encrypting data um, uh, on the virtual hospital app. We're we're storing it before we transmit it. We have a cycle that we have to deal with on if the um, disconnects and so forth on that end. Uh, we're doing uh, customer surveys. We're doing monitoring and all that. So my point was more on the Swift UI. Uh, where Swift UI version 3 is out. I don't think it's ready for more complex apps um, on that. Uh, maybe a couple of versions, but Flutter itself, um, I, I would say sh there shouldn't be an issue building a complex piece because you have the tools that if you run into something where you can't uh, do it in Flutter, you can do um, platform views, uh, write, it, write a piece out for native code and integrate it very easily. Uh, platform views are pretty straightforward with Flutter. And then the pl plugins and um, uh, the method channels and event channels are very easy to use, uh, use and extend it. So again, when you're building out an app, uh, the ecosystem, ecosystem of the plugins are there and you can probably find uh, a lot of the plugins that are out there um, that will work. We use a few ourselves. Uh, and then if you need to get into something that's specific to your need for your complex app, you can write it native if, if need be. Or and a lot of times too, if your team is all developers, you hire a consultant to come in and write the native piece for you. Uh, and they shouldn't have a, uh, a challenge. They shouldn't be able to have a challenging time to integrate it. It's very easy to integrate uh, native code with it. So if your team is doing uh, Flutter development and you don't have a lot of native experience. And when I say native experience, writing a lot of complex native code. If you're doing Flutter development, you're, you're familiar with the different platforms. You're familiar with Gradle. You're familiar with the build process on each platform. So you have some exposure there and you want, should be able to understand the, uh, how to get uh, uh, plugins working, how the channel works. Um, but if you want to build complex apps that need to take advantage of Platform specific things or new features that come out that um, nobody's built a plugin for it. You can always hire somebody uh, who's native for that platform to build it out and you can integrate it very easily within Flutter. So I think Flutter is definitely ready for, um, for complex apps. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty good. Um, do you have any kind of tips or kind of warnings for beginners out there? So I would say. Long ago, when, when you had computer books at bookstores, bookstores hated me. I probably uh, contributed to their demise. I would go in and I would, if I was interested in a certain topic, I would go and pull a bunch of books off the shelf, sit in the corner and for a couple hours read each chapter. Uh, so I always view for uh, developers coming in who are new to Flutter, don't just go with one source for your understanding. Uh, read different, there's different opinions on how to put things together. Uh, my video is very, uh, uh, 
covers the basics to get you going. But again, it's there are other um, video courses. If video courses are, are what you like, look at other ones as well. If you're into reading, there's a ton of material out there on Medium uh, for reading material. Um, look at the actual Flutter documentation on Flutter Dev. But don't just go and say, okay, especially if you don't understand patterns, don't go with, I've got this pattern and I'm going to apply it everywhere because that's what I know. It's keep evolving your skill sets and understanding, but also look at different ways that people explain things. Because one one way somebody explains a certain design pattern, you may not uh, grasp it easily and get an understanding of how to put it together. Read somebody else who wrote another article about the same pattern and you can figure it out. So I think a lot of times it's going to different sources uh, for your knowledge is probably the key thing I, f I find. Because uh, I never bought a book. I always would go in and read a book, read sections of a book, but I would never go out and, and actually buy it, buy it because I would always look at different perspectives on how things go. In. For Flutter, again, take some um, basic courses out there, but then start looking at different aspects. Understanding what the framework does is critical. So understanding what an element tree, what the um, uh, how that interacts with it, what is a, uh, the render tree doing, Understand the different pieces. Understand what keys are. I mean, that's that's critical. Um, and if you don't understand it, that's when you need to do some research on it and look at it. Uh, there's a great video actually from the Google team that talks um, talks about um, Flutter keys and, and gives a good explanation of what it is. But play around with it. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. Is I've had people that will read an article, but they don't code with it. You've got to have that muscle memory kick in, and you really have to try out things. And build apps. I mean, uh, I take over the period of time the app that I put in my video course is an app that I've I've built um, a Xamarin a solution on it. It's the same, so I don't wrestle with always uh, learning uh, learning how to build a different type of app. I'm I'm taking the, a different framework and building the same app, so I'm not struggling over the business logic of how how I want this app to function. I'm I'm focusing on how to implement it with this new framework. I always find that and build it over a period of time. Once you build it, build it again. I guarantee each time you build it, you grow your skill sets and your understanding uh, and how to put things together uh, and build those building blocks a lot easier. So the more you do that, that's key for really building your skill sets is reading different people and how they, how they uh, interpret how to utilize the language in the framework, but also building it and building it multiple times, not just once. Uh, and, if you can get into a development shop where you have senior developers, if they're a really good senior developer, they'll help out juniors and give them understandings. Uh, I used to do a lot of lunch and learns where we would uh, uh, take a topic and present, and I would actually have other developers do that and sharing the knowledge. It's uh, the old days of the tech guy that never shared the knowledge was was king and that was his job security. That's not the way things are now. It's it's being open and and uh, helping other developers grow their skill sets so they they can become better itself. And then if you're really ambitious, do a presentation on it because that forces you to really understand what you're talking about. Um, those those are things, and that's what I did uh, to really dive into Flutter. I said, well, I mean, I, for me to do a presentation on Flutter in four months, I better understand it, and that's how I get started with Flutter. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the as I did my plug at the beginning of this episode about my course, right? Uh, that's what I've been busy doing. I spent like 
all day yesterday, day before, kind of reading up as much as I can about C and FFI and this kind of stuff. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little bit nerve wracking. But you know, if you don't put yourself out there, uh, then you don't really learn, right? It's it's always good to set a date, set a set a thing, make yourself feel uncomfortable, and but in the end, by the time you actually present it, like you'll be surprised. And even if you get something wrong too, like the, I just want to put that out there, like even if you get something wrong and people correct you. I've never had a situation where people are saying like, you know, oh, you're you're an idiot. You don't even know this. It's always like, oh no, you you know, you're mistaken about this. This is actually how it is, and that's the most important part. And you learn from your mistakes. That's the key. Is you can run an app and it works perfectly, but you probably learn more by having an app that has problems that you have to fix. You know, going into debugging and, and getting into figuring out why it's not working and. and and all that. Those those are things that, yes, can be frustrating when you're learning, but it also helps you learn and grow uh, on that. And yeah, it's definitely uh, developers are always, I mean, even my team, I've got people pointing out things to me on, oh, this is a better way to do it. So I'm always growing. Uh, the key to thing is be in software development. You've got to like to learn. You like, you've got to like to read uh, different articles. You like to keep expanding your, your skill sets and understandings because it was great. I went to a conference long ago with uh, Billy Hollis, who is a, a great UX uh, engineer. Uh, and he would always, this is when the engineering were instead of an engineering design, thinking of we always designed apps to be like a airplane cockpit console where it threw everything on it, where he was getting into that no, less is more kind of concept. And he, he always said that he had a great presentation. He says, developers need to evolve. And he would say, if you don't evolve, then he clicked the button and the next slide would be a, a picture of dinosaurs. He says, you die out. You have to be, one, you have to like to learn. You have to like to experience uh, and, and grow your skill sets because that's the way you're successful in, in being a software engineer. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to say that. I, I totally agree with this. Um, I'm kind of going off a small tangent, but I think this is a pretty interesting uh, point you're making. I have seen quite a bit of people on like uh, LinkedIn or even Facebook, like, or even Twitter, just probably saying, listen, I'm a developer, but you know, my development time stops at 5 p.m. Does that mean I'm a bad developer? No. And yeah, you're facing me right now. It's similar to me. It's like, well, you know, uh, if you say so, but after 5 p.m., if you're not putting in time, I mean, like you're going to be, you can improve. Yeah. But you're not going to be you know, you're at the top of your game, right? That's my opinion. Um, like you have to put time into it, but if, if you don't really, you know, if that's not your style then that's okay, but just know that, you know, you're not going to, you're going to be, you know, kind of level for a while. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always bring back, uh, I mean, not, we're kind of getting off topic, but, a uh, a friend of mine who, who I knew and, and I had, a, uh, her friend's husband, just got laid off and he was looking for a job. And I said, well, have him send my res his resume over to me. And I kind of looked at it and, and was like, Ooh, he's going to have to go back to really from the basics and learn. Cause he basically had a job that he did these basic things and never grew. You know, you have to grow your mind. You have to grow your experience. Technology is always changing. It's like every two years, things have evolved to the point that you, whatever you knew two years ago, be around and the concepts are there, but how to implement it has changed over those years and you really have to keep at it. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, that, that's what I'm looking forward to when I, when I also look at hiring people is like, 
hey, you know, like, what are you doing with your time? And, and I look for that mindset, like, if they're hungry to learn stuff, because that's the biggest thing. Uh, and also dealing, like, trying to find people like that. I also reach out to recruiters, and they say, what, what tech are you using? Is it Java? Is it this? I said, the tech doesn't matter. Right. Is the guy willing to learn? That's always the one of the top three for sure. Maybe the top one always is like, is this guy willing to learn? Does he really want to get into this stuff? Because we right. do things that people just don't do out here. The flutter is like it's growing out here. So I'm in Hong Kong. It's just slowly growing. But if everybody over here is doing Java and C and JavaScript. And if you don't do these three technologies, then people are afraid to come work for you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean, we're, I've got a, uh, actually an interview tomorrow. I'm interviewing a, a, an iOS developer who's interested in, in joining us. And, and I'm not, I, I'm like, yeah, he doesn't know Flutter, but uh, the interview process will be, is he willing to learn? Is he willing to put the time in? And how does he approach different things? I mean, it'll be interesting to, to see. But again, it's, you have to have that mindset of always evolving and learning. It's critical. I think I just have one last question for you. So we don't need to get back on topic, which is yeah. always Sorry the, no, 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 don't worry about it. Like, I think this, these kind of topics are definitely, uh, people are interested in. Uh, but the last one is always kind of the one that, uh, is, is a difficult question for people to answer, which is what is your state management approach? So, um, we're, we're pretty much, uh, using, uh, provider and the, uh, a block pattern, um, for, for our piece, uh, with the logic, we have several different layers within, with our services, uh, and structure, but, um, for managing, most of what we're doing is we're not long-term storing data like our vitals because potentially we could be, um, uh, have a, a blimp in the Wi-Fi connection. Uh, we'll store that into, uh, uh, a MySQL database temporarily after we encrypt it because it's, uh, HIPAA regulations. But then, uh, we have a background process that periodically we'll, we'll bump it up to the server. So a lot of our, in the application, a lot of our state is, is, is short term and it's a pretty much get the data from the devices, store it. And then we don't do a lot of interpret, um, interpreting that data on the device. It's more of collecting it and uploading it, um, uh, to the background. But we, we're pretty much uh, using, um, the block pattern and, um, provider. Okay. You didn't, you didn't scrub as much as most people do because usually that's a loaded question where people get all upset. Uh, but I you know it's, it's interesting to hear what people are using. Uh, I think most people are using Riverpod. And then maybe second one would be Block. And then after that, Provider, I think, for people who we interview on the show at least. So it's good to hear kind of where you are. Yeah. It's, um, again, it's in most, we have a couple of new apps that we're going to build out next year that will have a whole different uh, approach. But um, the apps we have now is it's more collecting the raw data um, and then pro- uh, storing it temporarily and then uploading it uh, in the background uh, for us. So that's, those are um, keys for us right now. Um, but again, our iOS and Android apps for the provider, and when I say provider, we're talking like a doctor, paramedic, things of that nature where they have to come in and look at the, the patient information and they have to... Uh, have to look at it securely because we, we have regulations that, uh, for HIPAA, uh, and all that, that we have to work with as well. So it's, it's always interesting, um, but a challenging because we have to give a little more detail. We're not building a, just a, uh, a, a simple app that's going to the store that, yeah, we, we have to make a good, good pass at security. We actually have to really 
focus on security and devices and communication as well. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's that's it for. I mean, we went a little bit over time. I hope that's not disturbing your day. Um, my end of my day uh, out here in New nice, England. <laughs> nice to end end time on this kind of stuff. Uh, okay, so is there anything else uh, that you wanted to to mention, or maybe you want to just one more plug for for um, medically home about hiring or anything else? So again, uh, if you um, you're interested in um, doing flutter development, mobile development, uh, medically home, if you go to medicallyhome.com, uh, if you go to the website, you'll see kind of a video of what we do and what we're trying to do. Uh, but also, if you reach out to me, it's scornell at medicallyhome.com if you're interested. Um, we'll uh, get you into the, uh, the hiring process. And we're, like I said, we're hiring um, multiple people to build our team out here in the U.S. Um, and so that's growing. I do have the um, Flutter in Motion video course. Uh, just a caveat, it is, I built it in 20 uh, version, I think, as I went through version 1, 1.0 to I think 1.5 when it got released. So 2.5 is out there. Uh, I haven't, uh, I just don't have the time to really go back and work on it. Uh, eventually, I'm sure many will, will bring somebody up there. But there is information in there um, that I still have people that will post saying it's still working. Just ask a couple of questions. I'll give a workarounds on the course. But uh, again, I wouldn't recommend just taking one video course. Always look at different different courses out there. So it's not just mine. Uh, there are other people that are that also do video courses uh, that give you a different perspective on the framework. And I recommend always going and looking at different sources. Okay. With that, I thank you for making the time. Uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting, the stuff you're working on. So maybe, maybe it'd be good to kind of talk more about Bluetooth uh, later on. Uh, I don't know. Depends on if you have enough to think that maybe fill an episode. It's always an interesting topic. Yeah, I think that would probably be more uh, like a coding exercise uh, is is easier. You can talk talk theory for for like twenty minutes, and then you can actually write out um, some code. So um, that would be an interesting one. I actually thought about a video course for that, but I I just don't have the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. All right, thank you for your for coming on, uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can have you back or, or anything like that in the future. Great, thank you, Alan. I appreciate it.